It is good to be back. And uh, before I read the scripture, I'd like to just make a few comments, if I could. Um, on the church side of things, uh, I want to just extend a thank you to several folks. John Tyler, uh, first of all, for taking a really, really early call on a Sunday morning and being asked to do something super inconvenient, which is to preach in my stead. And so thank you, brother. I love you. Thanks for taking my calls. And uh, thanks for standing in and encouraging us through the word. I want to say thanks to Steve Pink. Uh, some of you may not know, it's, it's not easy to step into someone else's sermon series and, and do that. And this pastor is so appreciative that Steve is willing to do that. And he did a wonderful job. I'm so, so thankful that, uh, uh, that his teaching skills uh, were able to be put to use. And I was encouraged and thankful. Um, and I'm also thankful to Phyllis, my assistant. She carries more weight and more load in this place than many of us know. And so if you have a chance to see Phyllis, thank her for me, because I'm not going to do it. Um, just kidding, I will, I already have, um, for all the work she did uh, while I was absent. Um, there are many more personal thank yous that will be extended uh, in a different way, but uh, secondly, I'd like to thank uh, my wife. As I've mentioned many times, uh, when I mention Julie's name from the stage, I owe her an ice cream. And so at this point, with the amount of business of hers that has been displayed from the stage, I'm looking to buy a controlling interest in the Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream Company. I don't know if any of you lawyers or financial folks can help me with that, but I think that's the only way I'll be able to repay that debt to her. Um, but in a, on a serious note, listen, it's not easy living in a glass house. It's not easy uh, that everyone knows your business. And Julie, you handled it with class and with grace. And I love you, and I'm very thankful for you. Um, and uh, you will not be getting any more health updates, unless it's COVID-related, about Julie from the stage, probably for a while. Um, but an anyways, listen, this has been an interesting few weeks. Uh, it's, it, and I'll say this, the Kents know that you all love us. And um, that's humbling. Uh, that's scary a little bit. Uh, and it's exciting. And uh, we love you back. And so um, just wanted to take a few moments to say those words before we get into the sermon this morning, which is why we're here. So let's take a look at our Bibles. I'll be preaching today from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible this morning. And so if you could follow along, I'll read that to you uh, this morning before we study. Starting in verse 1, again, of Matthew 2, it reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, for you shall, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the star, when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, for when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us before we hear God's word preached this morning. God, thank you for a congregation that loves you, that loves one another, that loves Christmas, that loves the coming of your Savior and all that it is. I pray this morning as we look at the story of the wise men, that we too would be challenged as the original readers of the story would have been, that our our perceptions of what the gospel is would be refreshed, that those who do not know you would hear this story and feel it an urge to be saved by your Son, because there is no other name by which man can be saved on this earth. So I pray this morning that your Spirit would do what it always does and convict our hearts, block the words that I should not say, let the ones that need to land in our hearts do so and be fruitful. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So listen, confession. Over the years, I have become an advocate for... Christmas accuracy. What a reformed thing to be, right? So, listen, let me give you an example, a silly example. The song Drummer Boy. There was no drummer boy at Jesus' birth. No rump-a-pum-pum for Jesus. Sorry. And I was actually listening to that song this week. One of the the verses says, Mary nodded like, yes, please play your drum for my sleeping baby. That right there lets you know it's completely false. Okay, but, but that's, that's silly. But here's, here's some other examples. So some good scholarship has come out in the last several years, maybe sooner than that, but it's come to my attention, that, that, that the, the phrase, there was no room at the inn, actually, probably, more likely means no room in the guest room. So Jesus, more likely than not, was born not in a stable, but in the main uh, fellowshipping area of a family home. They were visiting, and, and so we, we've taken all these other examples, and we, we have stuck in this idea that he was born in a stable into our Christmas narrative. There's nothing wrong with that, but again, Christmas accuracy would say, look at what the Scriptures say. Uh, now, that, that's one we're unsure of, so whether you have a nativity with somebody's house in the background or a nativity with a stable, it doesn't really matter. It's just something to be aware of. Now, here's one that we know, and here's one that I've become a stickler on, okay? The shepherds were actually there the night Jesus was born. All right, so they came, they, they were there that night. We see from this passage of Scripture, the wise men were not. They came later. There's a good chance that Jesus was a toddler by the time they showed up. And so one of the, the things that I have held on to, and you'll hear me confess a sin here in a moment, is, well, when we have a nativity in our home, we don't include the wise men. Why? Because we want to be accurate. Again, how reformed of me, Okay. Listen, this week, studying this passage, I have to confess that, that I have held up accuracy as an idol. It's been an idol. And what do idols do? Idols set up uh, an image of something that's maybe slightly accurate, but what it does is it causes us to miss out on the real thing. And so as I studied the passage this week, and I looked at the facts of this passage, and I looked at why Matthew included it, I was convicted that my opposition to inaccuracy was excluding the message of the wise men from my Christmas thinking. 
And it's devastating. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a look at the wise men, and I want to take you on the same journey that I was on, the same journey that I experienced this week, and bring the wise men, the message of this part of the Scripture in Matthew, back into our Christmas thinking. It's important. Now, uh, as kind of a, a precursor to what we'll see today, I don't know if you've noticed, we've had some different Advent readings this year, a little different. We haven't been doing the traditional Advent readings as we light the candle. And so the reason I chose these scriptures is because of of how each one of those passages ends. So let me recap for you. In the first week, we had John 3.17. Here's how that passage ended. For God did not send His Son into the world to to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved him. It's a declaration of why Jesus came. It's a declaration of the meaning of Christmas. Week two, I love this. We, we read about Zacchaeus. What a great story. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why we have Christmas. This today, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And what? To give His life as a ransom Many. Now, I'm mo- I'm most, I picked that passage mostly because of my name in it, but uh, secondarily because of the reason Jesus came. Why? To, to give His life as a ransom for many. And now, spoiler alert, next week, the passage ends like this. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Every single one of those passages gives us an insight. What is Christmas really about? What are we we preparing for? Why did did God come, leave heaven, and become flesh? Why? To save lost sinners. And so, like all those passages have been giving us this idea of what Christmas really is about, the, the wise men do a similar thing. They serve a similar function in this passage of Scripture. They show us why Jesus came. They tell us about who He is. And so I'm going to take you on that journey, how I experienced this change of heart this week, and let's start with the facts. First of all, it's good to notice that these wise men were Gentiles. They were Gentiles. Look at verse 1. Second part, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Uh, So back to what Steve has been preaching on the last two weeks. He's been a great job of reminding us why Matthew wrote this gospel. What's it for? To convince Jews why Jesus came, who he is. He's their king. And so in a book where you are trying to convince Jews that that Jesus is their rightful king, why would you include Gentiles? It's a question we have to ask. Luke, you'd expect it in Luke. Luke was a gospel for the, the, the downtrodden, the outcasts. And so you'd expect Luke to say, yeah, look at these wise men. No, he doesn't even mention them. And so in this book where, where um, Jews are being convinced that Jesus was their king, Matthew includes these Gentiles. So let's look at the phrase, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men, this word is magi. We're familiar with that, magi where we get the word magic. Now, these guys weren't magicians, right? But the, uh, magi is a respected pagan religious scholar. That's what a magi is, what a wise man is. Somebody from another culture, another place, who is well-learned, educated, and, and they are looked at as someone who is an expert in a particular religious field. 
And so uh, I think we can, there's a lot of different opinions on who the wise men were and what they were experts in. I would say this, we're, we're fairly certain they were not astrologers, meaning looking to the moon and the stars and the sun to, to read the future. That's not what they were about. Rather, they were likely faithful to the Jewish religion. We'll look at that in a moment. But they were from the east. They were from the east, likely Babylon. So what is the reason for Matthew to include wise men from the east? He's saying they're not Jews. Definitely not. They're not the diaspora, right? Jews who had moved away. No, these were full-blooded Gentiles. And so as an original hearer of this story, this point, to us, it's really nice. It's part of our Christmas tradition. But for a Jew trying to understand who Jesus was, this is kind of a challenging point. Now hold on a second. Why would they come and worship? And it's exacerbated by the fact that what? They understand who Jesus was, but the Jews in the story don't. So again, they're from the east. I want us to dig back into our sermon series. You're going to have to remember something that I told you. Does anybody remember? I'm not going to ask. Does, did, does anybody remember what the foreign policy of the Babylonians was? They were fair-weather worshipers. One of the reasons they sent the Jews back to Israel to rebuild the temple was because they had a policy that whatever God, from whatever nation, no matter what, if he could benefit us, we're in. Name a time and place and we'll go worship. And so they had seen the history of the Jews and the power of Yahweh. And so they said, listen, if we can get benefits from Yahweh, let's get in on this. Let's invest in, in the temple and send them back. And so what we see here is that Babylon had apparently never stopped that way of thinking. And so what they had here were men who were religious scholars, and they were assigned to be experts in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so that's what we have here. We have Gentiles who live afar, and they study and know the Old Testament Scriptures, but beyond that, they believe the Old Testament Scriptures. You see, in verse 1, they come, they know exactly where to come. So they were educated. They saw from the Old Testament Scriptures, okay, that's a sign that matches with this. We know that this is the king of the Jews. Let us go. And they go straight to Jerusalem, the capital, because they know if a king's going to be born, that's where he would be. But it's more than an educational trip for them. Why do they go? It says in verse 2, where he is who has been born king of the Jews, for we saw his star and we have come to what? Worship him. This was a pilgrimage to their Messiah, to a deity. Worship here means to, to bow down and worship a deity. And then again, you look at verses 4 through 6, Matthew is contrasting the, these, these Gentile Jewish scholars, excuse me, Gentile Old Testament scholars with these Jewish, the, the experts in the Jewish law. Herod gathers them together. It says in verse 4 through 6, he assembled. Who? The chief priests and the scribes. These are the people that knew the Old Testament better than anyone in Israel. And he asked them a question. Where will the Christ be born? And they say, oh, we know that answer. In Bethlehem, for it is written. And they say it. But they don't think, why is he asking that? They just go on their merry way. Something something's different between these wise men from the East and the Jewish scribes and scholars. The, the, the wise men from the East see the star, they know the Scriptures, and they see the signs of what God has promised, and they believe, and they go. The Jewish scholars don't see it. They don't respond. And so they were wise men, scholars of the Old Testament Scriptures, 
But they were more than that. They were faithful to the teachings, to the law of God. If you've been following along with me in the, the Piper devotional that I recommended, Good News of Great Joy, he has a devotional on this passage, and he makes it very clear. Listen, this is big news. Gentiles weren't just excluded. They were unclean. They were unwelcome. They were unrelated. And so to include them, their inclusion adds a spotlight to this portion of the passage. And so that's the first fact. We have these Gentile scholars from far away that aren't part of Israel, and they come as Gentiles to worship Christ. Not just pay homage, to worship. That's fact number one. Fact number two, as they are going on their journey, they faced scary opposition. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now listen, Herod the Great was a tyrant. He was a bad, bad guy. He's a bad guy. Now, if, if you're familiar with Josephus, he's an ancient historian, fairly reliable. He makes a big deal about how Herod the Great was a great builder. He did great building projects. He was a good planner. And, and so he, had, he has all these building projects to his name. But here's the deal. He was nasty especially in the last decade of his rule, here's some things that he did. He had his three eldest sons murdered by strangulation, specifically by strangulation. He told his men, go strangle my eldest sons. He thought they were vying for his throne. You can't make this one up. He had his brother-in-law murdered at a pool party. You can't make that up. He threw a pool party. They had those back then. And he told his men, listen, we're going to play some form of water polo, get real rough, drown my brother-in-law. It happened. He did that. Why? Because he thought his brother-in-law was vying for the throne. He had ten wives. One of them was his favorite. And, and in the end, he suspected her of what? Trying to take power. And so he had her tried and executed for treason. He was not a nice person. And of course, we have the massacre of the innocents. Verses 16 through 18. In order to avoid any threat to the power of his throne, he had every two-year-old boy and younger murdered. That's serious commitment to your own power and reputation. And so you can see in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And it now makes perfect sense why the last part of this verse is there, and all Jerusalem with him. Oh, great. Oh, great. This is not going to go great for us. This is what the wise men were facing. And so Herod was conniving. Now, he wasn't stark raving mad. He was well aware of his goals and his, his tactics, and he very smoothly executed his plan. He brought the scholars and tell me, where will the Christ be born? He brought the, he brought the wise men, and he said, he summoned them secretly and ascertained what time the star had appeared. Okay, two years ago, interesting. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the, for the child, and when you have found him, bring word that I might come. Worship him. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But again, he's not stark raving mad. It's not obvious to the wise men that, that he is, is disingenuous. In fact, if it weren't for the dream in verse 12, who knows? Would the wise men have come back and said, King Herod, we found him. And so despite his cruel and clandestine ways, God spared the life of Jesus, spared the life of the wise men. They still made their way and worshipped the child. That's fact number two. So first, they were Gentiles, for sure. 
They faced scary opposition. And third, they brought gifts with them. Not just gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll get there in a moment. But first of all, look at verses 9 and 10. They brought happy hearts. They brought happy hearts. They went on their way, and when they, they had seen... Uh, okay, and the star they had seen, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is how we know this wasn't a business trip for them. This wasn't a business trip. This wasn't some formality of, of educational purpose. Like, let's go find out if it was right. No, they were coming to see their majesty. They were coming to see their God, their Savior. And so their long journey was over. They weren't relieved. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I was trying to think of an example. And, and think about it this way. Last summer, we drove uh, 20 hours over three days to my parents' house. And, and you can imagine the excitement of our children, let alone the parents, to finally arrive at my parents' house. Now, why are we excited when that moment happens? Because there are living, breathing people in that house that we miss and there's lots of candy and Legos and toys and cookies and things like that as well. But really, it's because we haven't seen those people and we can't wait to see them again. And so the elation, those, those almost butterflies in your stomach rise up. This is what the wise men were feeling. We're here. Can you believe it? Oh my word. He is inside this house. They brought with them happy hearts. They brought with them worship. Again, they did not come to pay homage as foreign dignitaries. Look at verse 2 again. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now, Jesus, in their minds, was not heir apparent. He was not the next king. He already was king. He was born the king. They wouldn't have to wait for him to be trained. They have to wait for him to be crowned or, or a coronation. He was already king because of what the Old Testament said about the Christ, about the Messiah. And so they came to give their spiritual worship. Three times in this passage, the word worship is used. That is an emphasis. Matthew does that on purpose. They say, we're going to worship Him. Herod lies. I'll worship Him. And then they come and they actually worship Him. Worship, worship, worship. It's the focus. And then lastly, they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I was trying to figure out what this was worth. Um, now, we really can't know. There's no quantities listed. But just to give you an idea, one uh, article that I read eva evaluated these gifts at about $120 million in, in modern currency. I, I think that's a little far-fetched, okay? Um, but again, uh, the, the idea is these three things, two of them were like a fragrant resin, one of them was gold. They were very valuable. That's what you need, want you to hear from that. They were very valuable. Um, we know it was valuable. There's a lot of speculation as what could what took place with these materials. If you, there's nothing in the scriptures that give us an idea. I tend to think my speculation is that uh, you'll see that they have to they have to take flight to Egypt after this, and I think that God used these gifts to gifts to fund that that venture. They had to go, and if you think about it, if you overnight had to to vacate your family and go live in a foreign country, that would be an expensive thing to do. 
And so I think God provided for them in this way. And again, I think it's interesting to know that by adulthood, we have no indication that Jesus was independently wealthy. He was not like a wealthy trust fund baby roaming the countryside doing miracles. It's not what it was. He was homeless. He was poor. And so uh, whatever the amount was, whatever, whatever happened to it, it was valuable in the moment. And I want you to understand that, that this was a poor carpenter's family. A poor carpenter's family. They've probably never seen anything like this. I was talking with someone this week, and they were, we were talking about when people do acts of service for you. And he was saying that he met someone in Georgia, and she would always refuse uh, to let anyone do anything for her because it would be holding her to others. And what, I was like, what does that even mean? He said, what it means is like she refused to let anyone drive her to the airport because if you did that, that was such a big favor, she would owe you something that she felt like she could not repay. And so her conscience would not let you become beholden to her. She didn't want to owe you anything. And so this person, what did they not understand? The value of a gift. The value of a gift. So think of a gift that you've received that's too valuable to pay back. My family has been a recipient of that over the last several weeks. You all have brought groceries and meals and run errands and spent your time. My goodness. And there was that moment I was like, well, how do I pay them back? I can't. I can't, but that's not the point. You didn't do those things to behold in me, right? I don't know how to even use the word correctly. You didn't do those things so that I could owe you in return. Why? Because it was a gift. It was a gift. And that is the whole point. These gifts that were given were never meant to be repaid. The wise men gave these things of great value, not because they said, now, what are you going to do for me, Jesus? Going to bless my camels? I don't know. Like, what, what do they think? That's not how it worked. They gave because they loved, and they gave a gift with no expectation of return. They gave to not gain something. They simply gave. And what did Joseph, Mary, and Jesus have to do? They could only receive. They could only receive. So those facts are the facts that changed my mind. How do they do that? So the question again is, why should we include the wise men in our Christmas narrative? That's the question. And the answer is this. The wise men communicate the gospel they communicate the gospel, what it is, who it's for. Think about this. The gospel is for absolutely everyone. The gospel is for absolutely everyone. Think about the story. They, it's not just for Jews. It's not just for the people of God at that time. It was for the whole world, even wise men from the East. If you go to Luke, even shepherds who are considered unclean, the gospel is for everyone. And so what is the truth as we transition that truth to us? No sin can exclude you from the gospel. No characteristic you have disqualifies you from the gospel. There's no prerequisite for salvation other than I need it. I need it. I would ask if you've been a recipient of that kind of gospel, say amen. Amen. The gospel is for absolutely everybody. The second thing we can see from the wise men's story is that the gospel will succeed no matter the opposition from any place or any person. Think about the story. 
Herod the Great couldn't stop the mission of Christ no matter how cruel or conniving he was. There was not a character more powerful in Jerusalem at the time than King Herod the Great. And what did his, what did his cloak and dagger type things accomplish? He murdered a lot of people, but he did not stop Jesus Christ. And so as we transition that meaning to now, listen, no law can contain the Gospel. No person can disprove the Gospel. No event can nullify the Gospel. The Gospel is an essential and absolute truth. And there is no salvation in this world besides the salvation that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. The Gospel is for everyone. The Gospel will succeed no matter what. And the last thing is the Gospel is a gift for which we cannot pay. The Gospel is a gift for which we cannot pay. Look at this. Joseph, Mary, Jesus could in no way pay back the gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They couldn't do it. That wasn't the point. So as we transition that truth to us, listen, Christ's perfect life, His earned righteousness, His payment for our sins on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, He gave all those things to us wretched sinners. And that does not make us beholden to God. That makes us the children of God. The Gospel is a priceless, unstoppable gift for any to receive. And listen, even if you could purchase the Gospel, even if you could, we've got to go back to Matthew 5. We are poor in spirit. We don't have the resources. So if you think, oh, you know what? God's done this for me. I'm going to live my life and earn that back. No! The Gospel is a gift so priceless we cannot pay it back. And it's given to us freely. So the question is, okay, well, what about me? What, what do we do with this? And so let me first talk to those of you who are here or listening online who consider yourself a non-believer. You consider yourself someone who is not really bought into this whole Jesus thing. And the question you might have this morning is, okay, it's a great gift. It's precious. Okay, it's for me, no matter what I've done. The question might be, how can I receive this? And here's the answer. You cry out to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, help Help me. That's it. There's no magic potion. There's no special prayer. There's, there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's simply offered and you say yes. Now there's something to do after that. You go find a church and you get involved and you say, listen, I've said yes to Jesus. What's next? Because there's this whole thing after that. But the first step is simply like, like Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to say, thank you. I, I can't pay for this. He knows. That's why He gives it. And for those of us who are believers, listen, do what you want with your decorations. I don't care. Listen, I do what you want. I went ahead and bought Julie Wiseman for our nativity set after this week. I said, you know what? We're going to have them. We're going to have wise men. They're going to be part of our Christmas thinking. So do what you want with your decorations. Here's what we really need to do as we look at the wise men. We need to 
include them in what we think about Christmas. First of all, the gospel is for us. It's for us. We need it. Even after you say, yes, Jesus, you need the gospel every day. And so let's not let accuracy or tradition or materialism or whatever our Christmas is involved with be a distraction from the reality that Jesus came to die. He came to die. And we need that truth. So certainly, it's a celebration of our Savior and King. It's also a celebration of the great gift that He gave us that we still can't afford. It has been given to us freely, and guess what? It will not fail. No matter what kind of person you are, no matter what sin you committed last night, no matter what you think or, or any of these things, listen, you can't disqualify it. You need it every day. God gives it every day. The gospel's for you, church. But also, something we've lost, I think, is that the gospel is for others, too. The gospel's for others. John Piper, from his devotional this week, said, God is guiding foreigners to Christ to worship Him. This is God's design. He did it then. He's still doing it now. His aims that the nations, all the nations, worship His Son. This is God's will for everybody in your office at work, in your neighborhood, and in your home. The Gospel is for others. It's for everybody. And so, Christmas, we have to understand, it's not just about presents, and it's not just about family, and it's not just about cheer, and it's not just about prime rib, or whatever, you're, whatever you think it might be about. Those things are all wonderful. What is Christmas about? Jesus Christ coming to save sinners like you and me. Save sinners from every tribe, nation, and tongue of every neighborhood, occupation, and lifestyle. That's who Jesus Christ came to save. That's why we celebrate Christmas. So church, Christmas is about Christ incarnation in a broken world. And guess what? That was the first advent. We have the second one coming. What happens between the two? We are the incarnation of Christ in this world. We are those whom Christ has decided will carry forth His Christmas work. Not just baking fruitcake and all these... Like, no, it's, it's carrying forth the Gospel to lost, to everybody. And why do we not fear? We have nothing to fear. The Gospel will not fail. And what is the message we must share? Listen, I've received a gift that I couldn't afford and I'd like to share it with you. That's why we include the wise men. That's why. I've been, I've been rebuked by God this week. Shame on me for ever thinking they weren't important to this story. They're essential. Let me pray for us. Lord, You are mighty You are good. Even when accuracy, theological accuracy, even when our reformed way of thinking, even when tradition and materialism, all the things about this particular time of the season get in the way, you love us. Those things don't disqualify us. Praise your name. My prayer for myself, my family, my church family this morning those listening, is that we would reevaluate 
what Christmas is about. The world wants us to think it's about peace on earth and joy and family and food and all these niceties. Those things aren't possible without the advent of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, whom stars appear for, kings kill for, wise men travel in elation to worship their God for, shepherds tremble in fear for, An earthly father denies his rights and marries Mary anyway. He did that for Jesus Christ, knowing what was to come to pass. He was Savior of His people. And so Lord, this Christmas season, use this church family to spread that news of a gift that cannot be paid back. Use the gift cards that are distributed through Pontiac Elementary School somehow, some way, to communicate. There is a gift you cannot pay back, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He is for you. Help our interactions with store clerks and neighbors to communicate, Jesus Christ came to save you, not because I'm better than you, because I'm just like you. I'm broken, and we need a Savior. 2020, has been a a ride and a half, Lord. And people of, of all the times in the world know that this world is not what it seems to be. It's broken. And may this Christmas season be a time when Your Gospel shines forth in a way that we've never seen before. May we be participants in that. Thank You from the bottom of my heart for the wise men. Pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.